0: This message is brought to you by IOM America. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am the ministry host. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and we hope you are blessed by this message today. Okay, we want to welcome our online listeners and we particularly want to give a special welcome to the IFEL online school members. This is very, very exciting, guys. Today's message is titled, Repentance. It is number six, part one. Let's take a look at our scripture again out of 2 Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 17. Each of these slides are available to you in the media center that you probably found this podcast. And I really, truly want to encourage you to actually download these slides so that you can get the diagrams that are oftentimes not seen in the text that we we send you for your PDF. So please do that. Here's our scripture: Second Timothy chapter three, verses 14 through 17. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become con- convinced of. Knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. Without the sacred writings, what's the problem we have? There's a formula being provided for us as the body of Christ. And it has to do with the incredible sacrifice that God went through for this book. Without the sacred writings, without being dedicated to it in, in childhood, without having this as you are being trained up in the ways of the Lord, so when you get old, you won't part from it. I can only assume that what the enemy's number one goal is, is to liquidate, lukewarm, evaporate, remove, the power and absolute authority of the Word of God. There are churches actually in this tiny little community that no longer believe that the Word of God is absolute and it is God's Word. And you think it's an issue in this little community? Then your mind is very limited. This is a huge issue throughout the body of Christ and so therefore you look to the man who does the writing instead of the God who inspires the weak man who's supposed to be nothing and God works to make him a nothing and so that the inspiration through that human mind the mind of Christ would be released to write that day is gone I'm afraid all scripture is inspired by God profitable for teaching For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. First thing I ask one of our missionaries who is interested, I want to be a part of your network. The first thing I ask them is where their position is with the word of God. Is it immovable? Can it be adjusted? Can it be be made to be more plausible? The Word of God is not designed to be a Band-Aid. The Word of God is not provided to be a healing salve. The Word of God is designed to do exactly what you just read. Do you hear comforting, healing salve in that? No. It's inspired for a prophet of teaching, for reproving someone, correcting them and training them so that they can be adequate as workers of the cross. It just so happens that the temperament that comes with the word of God the very life of Christ is compassionate, is tender, is sweet is loving, is healing. But that is not why this book was given to us. The emergent churches are emerging into this fluffy little love gospel because they're using the word of God as some kind of a healing ointment. It is not. The word of God is to break us down, to bring us down to the basics so that we would be willing to be taught and corrected and reproved and trained so we can go get back to work. My whole goal with anyone I meet, particularly overseas is working them I don't want to just be their friend I want them to work because it's why they're here it's why you're here it's why I'm here it's to work tend the garden all the stuff that comes with it the fruit the the feedings the comfort he already said he's going to provide that through each other through us loving on each other why? so we can go to work Why? Equipped for every good work. Christians are the laziest people on the face of the earth. I'm sorry, but we are. We are lazy. Don't do business with a Christian. Because they'll mess you up. But if they have proven themselves as a truly Christ is life businessman or woman they're the safest people to do business with it is such a sad state to be brought to the point as a church to know that we are in worse shape than unsaved people do you think about that our divorce rate is higher and that's just the start of it we are a truck wreck there are unsaved people that have healthier marriages than Christians There are unsaved people who are nicer to us. I'll be perfectly honest with you today. This is for my friends afar, my friends close up. I have a far more respectable relationship with unsaved people than I do Christians. We can talk, laugh, create, think through things, understand things, but I have to understand and be reminded that they, they are going to hell they're nice people, they're gifted, they're talented, they're, they're great business. whatever their thing is, I have to re- remind myself I am dealing with a person who is nicer than most of my Christian brothers and sisters. It is Christians that like to wound their own and then shoot them, remove them. It's called gossip. You see, non-Christians rarely gossip about Christians. If they're on a mission to hurt you, they're going to hurt you. The truth being said, is if you're going to take prayer requests, those requests should immediately be brought before the throne of God. Not opening opportunities to discuss the person's problem. We thrive off of gossip. Well, there's some issues that we just must get straight when it comes to the purpose for the actual word of God. And if we do not address those issues, I just have this sneaky suspicion that one by one Christians are going to continue to join this emergent movement, the Laodicean church. They're not hot, they're not cold, and someone remind us what Christ said he's going to do with that church, spit them out of his mouth. There's some very direct things starting to unfold for us in the world today. If you think Christ is just a little too harsh on the church, he's not dealing with the unsaved, folks. He's dealing with people who say they're saved. And they're not. They're lying to themselves. He's also talking to the ones who truly are saved. They have the indwelling life of Christ. This is who he's speaking to. It's not talking to unsaved people. Do you realize that not 99% of the Bible is written to the believers? 100% of the Bible is written to the believers. Why? So that we can be taught, reproved, corrected, trained, and be equipped to go out and do what we're supposed to do. I love it when I come in contact with a Christian who hears a message, they send me an email, and they say this. What's next? What do we do with this? Those are my favorite believers in the world today, and I'm going to use the term favorite because God uses the term favorite. I don't care who you are as a parent or grandparent. You know that the children that respond to your authority you show special favor to. If you try to give me the pop psychology of parenting saying that is not true, I'm not going to be apt to believe you. God gives special favor to children who respond in obedience because he can put them to work. He doesn't have to debate the theology of himself with this person for the next 15 years. He doesn't have to be put in this spot of, well, prove yourself to me, God. That's what debates are about. I will not debate a soul. If they want counsel, if they want to talk about it, they have, if they have questions, I would love to spend time answering questions. And if I don't have the answers, we're going to go find them together. That is a workable student of the cross. Instead of falling into this category, these Christians constantly learning, but denying the power thereof. That I I want nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's all he wanted. That was the conclusion of his entire educational life. He was the smartest, most educated, brilliant man that walked the face of the earth. Do you realize that? He was a chief Pharisee and he was trained since he was a little boy to grow up to be the most brilliant, educated man in the entire world. And God had to dumb him down. Those of you who are listening to our online school, the reason why the first class is called Jesus is Dumbing You Down is because that's his first objective, is to dumb us down so that he can show the intel of the living God who lives and breathes through you. Before I preach and teach or counsel, I plead with God to shut me off. I want full inspiration. I want the mind of Christ. I want the teachings from the mind of Christ. Because that's the only thing that transforms lives. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It literally can divide the... The Word of God separates the, the bone from the marrow. It's able to judge every thought and intention of the heart. And it's literally able to separate the soul from the spirit. That's just what this does. You know what? I think we need to get together this week and come up with a different translation that's not as offensive. So it won't divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow, and able to judge every thought and intention of the heart. That's what we need to do. We need to liquidate this thing. We need to sponge it down. That's what we've done. I believe there's only several translations on this earth that are adequate to be taught from. And I know I'm going to get emails on that one. So here's our Hebrew. Okay, when we put all of this together... And just as a reminder, we have uh, the modern Hebrew. These here are the ancient Hebrew pictures. These are the modern ones. And the reason why I like to put both of them together, particularly for our online students, is the Hebrew was revised four times before Jesus put his first footprint on, on the face of the earth. And there's a reason why they did this. It's very 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 difficult to find the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the modern Hebrew but in pictorial Hebrew it's as simple as drawing something out for a child so we put all that together and what we have is the house that the cross destroyed by the nail in what was revealed that's Hebrew for repent. There's an old warrior story that Hebrew warriors would tell. A soldier. When they were captivated by the enemy. And they were led away. And what the enemy would do back then. Is they would put this Hebrew in the enemy's tent. And they would spoil him with wine, women, and songs. And they would use the friendship with the worldly things of their culture to actually steal their hearts. They would enjoy those things to the point where they would not deny the enemy's control over them. Ultimately, they convert to the enemy's religion, the enemy's uh, plans of deception to actually destroy the Hebrew people. It was a great plan and it worked almost every time. They're called Egyptians. They steal symbols from multiple cultures so anyone that they captivate it'll look kinda similar, familiar. It's a culture that kinda accepts all religions into one. It's an old, old, old warfare technique. Now, he's in this tent. The Hebrew commander says we need to go get our son so they go out to the enemy's camp they cut a hole in the back side of the tent and they go in there and they bind their own guy and they gag him and then they drag him out through this hole they cut in the tent now somebody please tell me why would they bind and gag their own guy he had been consumed by their sin the identity switch had already happened He's going to fight them. He's going to, want to say, leave me here. Leave me in the enemy's camp. That's our church today. You get too strong and preach too strong nowadays. The 1930s and 40s preachers, bye-bye. No hellfire and damnation. If you do, we're going to fire you. Because we rule our pastors from the bottom up. So we have literally removed our powerful preachers from the face of the earth. Now we do it for a job. See what's happened? We see when it comes to repent, we have to be bound and gagged and drug out and they would get out on the hill at the edge of the city. They would turn that young man around, still bound, still gagged, and they would one of the Hebrew warriors would stay behind and they would set aflame the tent that that young man was bound in, released in, in impurities. And he'd have to stand there and watch that the tent, the house, that the cross destroyed by the nail in what was revealed, it is completely destroyed. We're not done. This is true, by the way. This is true Hebrew custom. Then they would take a fish hook, not a little one like we use. Great big fish hook. And they take that fish hook and they lodge it in under the breast of that young man and pull it all the way through. So he is securely, securely attached to the string of the fisherman. And then, we're not done he's still bound, he's gagged, he's hooked. And the Hebrew word for uh, definition for the word fish hook is what? Those of you that had a little bit of Hebrew training? Counselor. Whenever you see fish hook in Hebrew it means a counselor, a teacher. So this hook is put into his breast and every time that that commanding officer felt that person pulling to turn and look at their sin that no longer exists he would pull on that string and that spanking that pain that consequence is what he would obey because he will not obey the teacher in front of him and that's why I said earlier if you don't obey the teacher you will obey the fish hook Without question. It's your decision. No matter what country you live in. Here's Greek. You know, I love Greek a little bit. You know, I'm madly in love with Hebrew. Greek oftentimes just flat out insults me. Not the scriptures, but what they do with them. Here's the definition of Greek. In a definition for repent in the Greek to think differently or afterwards that is reconsider and as you know my insult from the Greek every time I use it is they use the same word to define itself but it's still good to look at this because when you put it together with Hebrew you have a full picture of repentance it has a lot to do with the thoughts It has a lot to do with a change of course. But nothing can be done unless the cross does the work. The least used term, repentance, is the most uncommon and least used phrase of most Christian counselors. We literally, as Christian counselors, try to make our... Counseling feel better for why they're coming in. It's okay. You're going to be all right. This is, And they're hunting for confirmation of sin, not to have sin removed from them. So it's kind of like coming in with this sliver that goes deep into the flesh, and you go into your doctor. I mean, seriously, think about this. You go into your doctor... And you're like, oh, I don't even know if I could tell you the story of how this happened. I just let's just get this thing out of here. No, that's, that's all right. And he gets out the salve. He takes the salve and he rubs it in. Just do your devotions. You'll be all right. We just we just take this out. Well. Let me give you some pain medicine. So he gets out his little notepad and he writes down some drug that blocks the pain from the hand to the brain. That's really ridiculous, isn't it? Just take out the splinter. This is what we're doing. We're using this like some kind of salve. Just well, read this passage for me five times this week. We're using the word of God like it's some kind of external ointment. Instead of letting the consequences of what God has allowed in this person's life to bring them to the end. So many counselees come in with thoughts like, I need help for my marriage. And what does the counselor do? Goes after the marriage issues of of course. Some will work to define the hidden issues behind the broken marriage, but few actually use the issues to lead the disciplee to repentance. You will not have change until there's repentance. You can fix the fix that God's got fixed on you to get you fixed from always trying to fix yourself, but the fact is, until we repent, you'll go right back to your sin. And I shouldn't have to prove that now since we've seen the true picture of Hebrew. Most people helpers are focused on fixing that fix that God fixed on his children to fix them from trying to fix themselves and others. So here's our components of discipleship. As you know, I bring this diagram back in often because it is very critical in understanding the purpose of what Paul said to Timothy in discipling others. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, which we read earlier, that the scriptures are uh, doctrines, they are for reproof, they are for correction, and they are for instruction. Under the application column, we have believing these doctrines because nothing happens without belief, even when you believe demonic doctrines. Everything comes from belief. So, the goal of the enemy is to, re- is to remove the doctrines of God and put the doctrines of demons in there, which Paul refers to him with that very title. It's all about doctrine. Because believing is a normal part of that. Well, from God's doctrines, we get righteous believing, we get righteous thinking, and then when we lead them to repentance and identification in Christ and truly try to bring discipline into their lives, they receive it. You can't jump over any of these steps. reproof It's a word that most of us Christians despise. We, we project reproof with lack of acceptance. You don't love me. You don't care for me. You're too harsh with me. You're too... They, and we, Can you imagine having your child say, I am going to go to another household to live? So they do. They pack up their bags and they go to the neighbor's house and they say, I want to live here. My parents are too harsh and unreasonable. So we do it in churches. The only time you should ever leave a church is if they're teaching you bad doctrines. Then you better be leaving quickly. But see, there are allowances even by God in each one of these categories, but he doesn't take those options very lightly. So reproof is very critical because then you can actually show them what lies to reject how do I know what lies are in their mind? By does what they say match up with the doctrines? If they aren't matching up their lies. Then from uh, dealing with the lies, they can have righteous choosing. Because I have got righteous thinking now. I've already done phase one. So now I can literally confront them and they are like, yes, take, take, take it out! That's the reproof. It's addressing the real issues. Then when you lead them to repentance in those particular areas of choices and so forth and so on. So then correction is showing them how to turn around reject the old pattern. So you can have righteous choosing and be led in discipleship. Instruction. This is practical training on how to take all these quadrants here, the details in these quadrants, and actually impart them to someone else. We have to be trained how to do that. Trained in discipleship. I never want someone leaving a counseling session or a service or whatever, a conference. I don't want anyone leaving unless they feel a little bit of heat. I've got to start training others how to do this. They need to open up the Dead Sea and don't just let the Sea of Galilee pour into the Dead Sea, the fleshliness of my life. It needs to be opened up and you need to give it away instantly. Or I can guarantee you everything you heard today will turn to worthless salt by Friday if you don't give it away. That is our components of discipleship The goal being living, walking in truth, truly, truly expelling the identity that we have in Christ. So here's righteous thinking, guys. Obviously, righteous thinking, righteous choosing, and righteous living comes from confession and repentance. An application in our identity in Christ... Being disciplined, which which will cause us to be obedient to the Lord. The end result, having a biblical worldview that actually transforms lives. Because of all those components working together for the good. Not one of them. If you attend a church and they've specialized in one or two of these, I'm sorry, they don't have it. It has to be a full package deal. Keep in mind that the average disciple cannot have this unless they are disciplined or discipled by a person who is strong, immovable, loving, understanding, and persistent in leading the disciplee into the actions of repentance. Repentance is the birthing canal of victory. Renewing life, this very well uh, might be the point in which the disciple appropriates for the very first time the grace of God in forgiveness and acceptance that obviously Jesus offered uh, through salvation that he provided for us this is when the discipleship and evangelism joined forces forces to produce new life if the disciple is already an indwelt Christian this may be a key point in God's work of sanctification through his brokenness and submission to their husband, Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information about our ministry, log on to www.iomamerica.com that's I-O-M-A-M-E-R-I-C-A-D-O-T-O-T-O-T-O-R-G. Thank you for listening. Run your car on the side of the road, get stuck in a ditch, swing out in the middle of nowhere. Man, I've been there. Get yourself in a bind, lose a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus bag.